People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio. And I think it's about time we had a smile or two, and we're going to try and do that in the course of this edition of People of Note, because it says here, if you want to learn a thing or two about Judaism, then Seapoint resident comedian and lawyer Barry Varkel is here to help you. He launched his latest fiction novel titled Hoi Vey, A Gentile's Guide to Judaism, in Seapoint in June last year. And it's not the only book he's written. Barry is a short filmmaker, a comedian, and as I said, a lawyer. And when not fighting for justice, he's thinking up plots and plans and wondering why on earth people get offended so easily. So, Barry, welcome. It's good to have you here. Thank you very much. I have to say right at the outset that one doesn't normally associate a lawyer with comedy. So this is a rather strange area you've sort of entered. How on earth did you... As a lawyer, how did you become involved in comedy? I had an office in, in Greenpoint uh, for 10 years from 1999 to 2009. And in the second, it was two five-year leases. So in the second five-year lease, I kind of started deciding that it, I needed a break. So From uh, law? From, 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 from life. It was actually oh, okay. you know, just too much of everything. Uh, and I just, I, when the lease came to an end, kind of closed the practice down, and then I went traveling. Bought this round-the-world ticket, spent about six to ten months traveling, Europe, the States, South America, Australia, uh, Thailand, Hong Kong. And right at the end of the trip, uh, when the, mo- the money was kind of finished, I remember sitting in the Hong Kong airport uh, saying to myself, okay, you're 38, you just turned 38, your money's basically gone from this trip. You're going back to nothing. Best you make uh, some sort of a bucket list and just pretend you've got cancer or something. So I wrote this bucket list out, and one of the items on the bucket list was stand-up comedy. So, yeah, when I got back, I kind of got hold of the people that were doing the amateur shows, and I put my first gig together, and I got all my family and friends and told them to laugh. And, and that was actually <laughs> – that was at Pickwick's, in, uh, which was in Long Street. Okay. I don't know if it's there anymore. So, yeah, that's how it But started. now the stand-up comedian, that's something rather specialized. So I, I'm interested that that got onto your bucket list. Why on earth would you want to be a stand-up comedian? Oh, I just always had this, this knack for, I don't know, talking a lot of nonsense and making people laugh and being animated with stories and telling stories at parties. So I'd always been interested in, I always enjoyed stand-up comedy, mm-hmm. watching other people perform. And it was always like, well, you know, if, if they can do it, I can. And the thing about stand-up comedy is when you watch it, you actually think it's all ad lib, but it's not. It's actually a constructed set that's been honed and fine-tuned over, God, years. Because, mm. you know, even on the, sh- on, the, on the amateur circuit, when you're with the same bunch of guys and girls all the time, you you saw them doing the same material every time, and it, it was it's just a performance that's been honed. So unless you're doing like crowd work, it's it's very much just something that's a set piece. And were you successful? Uh, <laughs> I have well, to ask you. I kind of had my moments. A lot of the material was kind of like out there, quite hard edged, and you know, my wife, who comes from a, a sort of a production 
and uh, advertising and film background always used to just put her head like this like, <laughs> wrong place <laughs> wrong time you know come on you know but you persevere <laughs> yeah i did yeah there was always a, a joke after i came off stage where the mc would say and Barry does children's parties as well. <laughs> yeah, okay. But then, but you obviously went back to law because that's yeah, what you do now. I did, yeah. So that was the big calling back to yeah. law. Uh, it's, you know, I do quite a lot of high court work now. And in a way, it's, you know, you, when you get a little bit older and you get a little bit more experience, I actually try and bring some sort of like levity to the high court proceedings. And judges are just so bored with the <laughs> usual rhetoric and the same way of doing things. Like if you throw some sort of a comedic curveball in or, you know, sort of lighten the, the, the proceedings, it actually helps. And I've, I've tried that. And some of the judges like look at me like, but then they giggle to themselves. And, and it actually sort of works because when you've got cases that are quite close – Basically, the judge will look at the two uh, representatives, legal representatives, and say, well, who do I like more or who do I dislike more, mm. you know, and make a decision. So, but is it, surely that's not allowed. I mean, you're dealing with serious things, people paying a vast sum of money, and now you're making a joke of it. Well, yeah. <laughs> he said being the devil's advocate. Of course. Uh, but at the same time, you know, sometimes uh, the situation or the facts are so sort of sterile and dull and, and boring mm -hmm. that if – you know, you could just literally see the judge's ears prick up if, if he or she hears something, you know, it's a little bit sort of left of field. Yes. So it does work. I remember having a case in Atlantis Court where a guy, it was a criminal case, and we eventually fell out and he fired me. So I went into court and, and I explained, it was a regional magistrate. So she said, what's going on, Mr. Vocal? So I said to her, well, I don't know if uh, your worship's ever seen the movie where the guy says to the girl it's not you it's me so she said, what did you say <laughs> anyway she hosed herself laughing <laughs> she said give me a second or two to compose myself <laughs> and she said to me do you wish to withdraw from this case i said yes <laughs> so sometimes it does help you know yes. if you sort of lighten things up it's all too serious these days i think people take themselves too seriously yeah, well, that's one of the things you say, um, that people take themselves far too seriously. But I'd like now, just before I ask you more about what you actually do as a lawyer, before we start talking about your book and your sort of sense of humor and who you're sending up, uh, what have you chosen for us to listen to, Barry? What's your first piece of music? Well, the first one is uh, something about Tony Bennett, uh, A Good Life. And that uh, reminds me of uh, a movie uh, I enjoyed uh, called Gangster Number One. It was a Scottish director, and uh, it was basically about a guy who was this tyrant in the London underworld who came from nothing, and he basically wanted to be the boss, uh, and he went all the way to the top. And the, the scene when the Good Life song is played is right in the beginning where they're at a sort of a boxing match, and it's now sort of a much later in life where he's an old geezer and things have changed, and they're having this sort of uh, dinner and with a boxing match in the background, and that song comes on. But they all really hate each other. It's just they're sort of keeping up pretenses. So that's where that song comes from. Oh, the good life Full of fun seems to be the ideal 
the good life lets you hide all the sadness you feel. You won't really fall in love, for you can't take the chance. So please be honest with yourself. Don't try to fake romance. It's the good life to be free and explore the unknown. Like the heartaches, when you learn, you must face them alone. Please remember, I still want you, and in case you wonder. Wake up, kiss the good life goodbye. Tony Bennett and The Good Life, the first choice of my guest, Barry Farkel, who is a lawyer, but who also, as it turns out, is a bit of a comedian and has written a few books, which we're going to start talking about. Just going back to law, what field of law are you in um, that you can afford to make jokes in court? Uh, it's <laughs> high court litigation. I'm mate. sending you up no, here. No. Well, it's kind of a sort of a comedy venue, but just different audience, I suppose. <laughs> really? No, you can't say that. <laughs> so what sort of law do you deal uh, with? Mainly civil litigation, money claims, uh, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. One man suing another. And as you said before we came into the studio, Barry, <coughs> although we did say that we were going to keep cheerful, you said that it, particularly at this time during COVID, things have, have taken a nasty turn for some people. Absolutely. Look, if a man's got a business and, uh, you know, lockdown happened and he, he couldn't trade or, you know, he couldn't sell his stuff in his shop, then he didn't have revenue to pay the landlord, for example, the rent. But the landlord still wanted to collect his rent because he was paying his rates and, you know, his mortgage and mm-hmm. all the associated costs. So that's sort of the dynamic that came out of COVID. And is, that, is a lot of that happening? Yeah, it's huge. That's it's not huge. good news, is it? No, not at all. And, you know, in the beginning it was sort of a situation where everyone was understanding, you know, wishing everyone health and mm. long life and all of that. Yeah. And then it kind of changed after a few months where the landlord was like, yeah, I've heard this story before, you know. And the tenant was like, yeah, I'm going to try my luck. So there was that element as well, you know, where everyone was pushing it. And and like anything in life, you know, even with couples, it eventually gets to the point where the one doesn't believe the other. You know, like, let's cut the nonsense and get to the bottom line. But, yeah, it has it has had a genuine effect. That's, as I said, worrying because, you know, there has been, well, certainly in the past, a kind of positive spin on this COVID thing that the earth is renewing itself and we're all going to come out of it. 
um, as you joked about dolphins swimming around in Venice. But you seem to think that that's not the case. No, I just think we've got a point now in this society and, and the world where there's just sort of a, a hard edge that's come out of everything. And I don't believe that, that there's going to be peace and love that's going to come out of this. It's just going to get nastier. You know, one just has to look at the media with what's going on in America, you know, in the UK. Um, yeah, people, I just think human nature is when you've pushed into a corner, you actually hit back. Mm. And now <laughs> there's no limit to how you hit back. Yes. Social media, you know, standing up, prophesying about things. And, and it's it's very easy to, to take a personal thing. You know, I don't like Rodney because he wears a checkered shirt, so therefore he's, you know, not a nice guy because I wouldn't shop at that shop because they support the Palestinian cause. You know, it's just there's just this ridiculousness that's going on now. And now with COVID and people being separated and isolated, you can literally sit like a nutter in your room on your laptop and just go mental and do whatever you want all day. There was actually a case I remember in, in London where there was this person and she used to just go and write all sorts of things on all sorts of websites, the most sort of hardcore and crazy stuff. And the Guardian got hold of her. They tracked her down through her IP address and they sort of staked her out at the bottom of a building. And when she came out of a building, she was like this really sort of nondescript old lady. And it was so unexpected that, that <laughs> she would be posting such stuff. You know, so, it's, yeah. so there is the element that nastiness has come out. It's also brought because you often read about the good that's come out. And mm -hmm. there has been a lot of good, Barry. Let's not forget that. But oh, there is a nastiness. And then, as we were saying as well, we are becoming somewhat anesthetized mm. to the awful things that are happening on this planet, both with the with the climate, with the environment, and with people and politics. Yeah, there's sort of two sides to that coin. You know, on the one hand, you know, the people are anesthetized to gratuitous violence and that sort of thing. But then on the other hand, you've got shows in America or, or sort of film awards where it's sort of sanitized to the point of you've got to make sure that a certain percentage of you know, that group or another group uh, gets awards and that everything's placed correctly. So where are we on this whole thing? Are, are we, you know, we're either going to totally to the one side or totally to the other. There's no sort of happy sense of, you know, middle ground anymore. That's, that's, that's uh, the, the unfathomable part for me because you don't know. You don't know where you stand anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's also that's a function of I cannot see who I'm dealing with. You know, like right now, you and I, we can see each other. There's a body language. And like, for example, with courts now, a lot of the time they ask for a, a virtual hearing all on Zoom or whatever. And I say, no, I want to just do it in court because there's a, a body language, you know. And, and sometimes it, it's better for me because I can, you know, move around in court and say my thing and kind of like there's a nuance and there's a look. And yeah, you, that doesn't come out in these virtual things. So you're really dealing with just someone behind a screen. Well, interesting you should say that because someone said to me, why don't doing COVID when we weren't allowed to have guests in here, why don't you do it on Zoom or on Skype? But I said, no, because I need to see the person. I need to interact with them. Body language, as you say, what your eyes are doing. And this is being lost, isn't it, to a large extent, as you say? Absolutely. You've got, you've got a sort of resigned look about you, and that <laughs> makes me think that this is why you went the comedy route, because it was all becoming too much. Yeah. <laughs> and you needed to do something else. 
Yes, it does get kind of dull sometimes. I, I, I sort of write to clients now, the clients that I know well, uh, and, and sometimes I send the, the emails to friends and colleagues, obviously blocking out the names so no one knows what it is. And some of them come back like, oh, you're insane. How can you write this to your client? And I say, well, they love it. You know? <laughs> <So really laughs> they still pay the bill. Okay. I even said to a client, I said, you know what, you, you can say what you want. And you can say you don't like my method or whatever. But I can promise you any other lawyer that you ever got, if you and I ended it for good, it would just bore you to tears. And he kept quiet for like a day and he came back and said, you know what, you're right. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. That's very interesting. Barry, let's have another piece yeah. of music. What is your second piece? Uh, this, uh, yeah, it's, I suppose I better do it because otherwise my wife is going to give me a bollocking later. So uh, it's a song called Thank You by Dido. And apparently, I don't remember this, she said to me that this was a song that she played in the car when we had broken up and she decided to take me back. And I cried.
That's a song called Thank You with Dido there. Another selection of my guest on People of Note here on Fine Music Radio this week, the lawyer Barry Farkle. I see Barry, it says here, Barry Farkle Consulting, but it also says British Solicitor of the Supreme Court of England and Wales. What does that mean? Yeah, I got, I got admitted uh, in the UK as well, so I qualified as a solicitor there. So you could work there if you yeah, wanted to. I just need a practicing certificate. Okay. I could do it, yeah. Okay. Are you South African? Born yeah, I'm South African, yeah. My wife is English. So this thing now of humor, so I want to speak about this book in particular, Hoi Vey, A Gentile's Guide to Judaism. And when I read it, uh, well, when I read most of it, it's certainly what you might call amusing. Um, tell me what you set out to do. Tell me what, because you've got a, a host of characters in this yeah. book. I think the the whole premise was basically there's sort of two parts to it. There's a fiction and a non-fiction in the same book. In the same book, and the the non-fiction part kind of sets up where the story comes from. Because I've got a friend who used to live down the road from me, a non-Jewish guy, and he knew all the Jewish guys. He knew the guys that you know that owned the promenade in Camps Bay and all the apparently rich Jewish guys. And and he always used to go on like a Friday night dinner. And we were sitting around one day having a drink, and he said to me, you know, there's so many words that are used, and, and I know some of them, and I don't know some of them. Why don't you, like, put a dictionary book together? Mm. I was like, okay. And then I started playing around one weekend, and I sort of tried to set the whole thing up. But then I, I figured it's going to be too dull if it's just sort of a dictionary. There needs to be some sort of a, a fiction thread to this whole thing. So I sort of grafted this story of this family, you know, Jewish family, you know, with the son and the daughter and living in this opulent environment in Fresno. And then their friends were a non-Jewish family from Constantia, unhappily married couple with a, a very clever son. And it was their sort of interaction because the main character, Jaime, he's got a cushion factory in Pardon Island and he's made a lot of money and he comes from nothing, but he's built a good business. And his uh, accountant is the, the non-Jewish guy his financial advisor, and together they do business, and he makes millions of cushions, and the money goes to London. <laughs> you know? yeah. So it, it, I sort of just put together. A, it was obviously it's, a, it's an exaggerated story, but I was trying to bring out the sort of Jewishness of it. Even if you read right at the end, the guy that sort of gave me the idea, he writes a, a sort of note to me. He dies unfortunately in the story, and he writes this note like, you know, all I wanted you to do was to write a little dictionary about a couple of words, but now you've written this whole book, and I don't know why you went so far. <laughs> well, at the back of the book, you talk about the back of the book, is a lexicon okay. of a lot of Jewish words, um, many of them I had never heard of, by mm -hmm. the way. And so, like Schutzka, okay, well, we've heard of things like Schutzka, but I, haven't, I didn't know Abba was father or daddy, Falafel, deep fried chicken. So, you've put, you've given a guide, haven't you? To the, and all these words are they used in the body of your book? Yeah, uh, Abba is is a Hebrew word, and so falafel obviously is the is a Hebrew dish, yeah, yeah uh, an yeah. Israeli dish. So, but yeah, the, most of the words are, are Yiddish, which is the European language. You know, that basically was a combination of sort of Russian, uh, German, and sort of local dialects. And there's some Hebrew in there because the story has some references to the family having gone to Israel and had some holidays there, so there's some Hebrew there. You also say somewhere that um, everyone, certainly in Cape Town, will recognize a lot of places in Cape Town. There's a lot of local content. It's a Cape Town story. Absolutely, yeah. 
I just wanted to make it, you know, you need to have a location for any story. So I wanted, it's Cape Town based. So, yeah. you know, Goldie's Deli in Seapoint is a, is a Jewish deli. Uh, Pardon Island, where Jaime's got his factory. Fresne, which is the Jewish shtetl, the little provincial parochial area. Constantia, where the non-Jewish family lives. So I, I wanted to bring out, the, you know, all these places that everyone knows about in Cape Town. Also the Mount Nelson, where... Uh, James Senior has his affairs, you know. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, it's it's really very much. You can recognise these places straight away, and, and not just Cape Townian people for all of South Africa, and even uh, people overseas if they've travelled here before. Your writing is very sort of flowing. Did the story flow quite easy? Did you enjoy writing it? Yeah. I mean, had you ever written before uh, uh, novel style as well, opposed just, to essays? Uh, well, Nagiri Law was the book before, which is also very short. It's a novella. It was about a crazy divorce court case. Yes, we're going to come to yeah. that in a moment. Um, so basically it was that, uh, Nagiri Law, and then before that there was sort of a, a book I wrote about my comedy road trip experience, okay. but that was never published because it was okay. just too... Who published these, Barry? Because um, they were privately published. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And the, first, the, the drawings, the books have lovely drawings. Well, certainly... Um, Goyve has lovely drawings in there. Um, yes, there's a guy called Lewin Serfontaine. <clears throat> He's an animator and an illustrator and an artist, and we worked together on both uh, the projects. He did all the, the drawings for me. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. And the other thing I wanted to say was um, your language is quite um, colorful. <laughs> it's an adult book. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you, you know what? I, I just think we've got to this point now where – you know, nothing's done gratuitously there. So if certain words are used, there's there's a there's a method to it. And and once again, um, you know, if you want to write a story, uh, then you need to have words that are used contextually. You can't just remove everything and scrub it so much that you actually lose the essence of the story. Like Hami uses a certain word, which is not derogatory at all. Um, and if I were to remove that word then it would lose an essence of... Of, what of his character Absolutely. as well. Yeah. So should one, you know, do we depict, what do we depict? Do we depict reality? You know, a character like Jaime who's kind of lost in the past, but he's trying to function in this modern world. So do we scrub it up to such a point where he doesn't even make sense anymore? Mm. Or do we have his frame of reference where he uses certain lingo and words and, and it has meaning for what the context is in the story? Oh, no, fair enough, fair enough. But we're going to have another piece of music now. Your third Perfect. piece, Barry. What's that going to be? Okay. Um, this one will be uh, Burnout by Sipo Hotsticks Mabuse. Uh, he's a local musician, a friend of mine and my wife's. And, uh, yeah, he's the Elvis of Soweto. So I told him if I get a chance to play music, I was going to play it for him. <laughs> so Sipo Hotsticks Mabuse, this goes out to you from your lawyer, funny friend here in Cape Town.
Sipo Hot Sticks Mabuso. That was Burnout and Another Choice. My guest on People of Note on Fine Music Radio this week is the lawyer, Barry Varkel. But we're sort of talking to you, Barry, more as a writer and a comedian. And yet there is a sort of serious side to you as we started being rather serious. First of all, you say there are a lot of myths about Jewish people. You hope to dispel them and encourage integration in South Africa where everyone can read the story and enjoy it. And this is, of course, the big issue in this country, isn't it, integration? And did you consciously set out to do that? Because it's by no means a political book, is it? No, not at all. It's just yeah. irreverence. Um, no, not really. Look, I've always been someone who, you know, got along with everyone and, and kind of was quite experimental in my social choices and what I did and, you know, was just kind of lived for the crack of it. Um, so there was no sort of intention there. It was sort of flowing from my frame of reference, which is, you know, everyone's involved. So it's representative of it, of everything in South Africa. But I'll give you an example. We did a comedy show in Soweto a while back, and uh, it was quite interesting. It was, you know, and this is something that I also found strange in South Africa. It doesn't occur with comedians in other parts of the world. The black comedians will just talk about black subjects, and the white comedians will talk about white subjects. So we were backstage afterwards, and one of the comedians came to me and he said, Hey, man, you know, I like your stuff, you know. It's like, you know, it's kind of like a bit of everything. And, you know, I said, I said, your stuff's also cool, but I just need to ask you a serious question. Why do you, why is it all just, you know, everything, you know, black this, black that? Why don't you mix it up? He says, hey, man, you know, why don't, I don't have any white friends. I said, I'm your mate. Here I am. <laughs> I said, marry a white woman, build a new population. <laughs> and he was cool. I just think people are too, there's a lot of this fear coming out. There's nothing to be scared of. Nothing. You can literally go around in the city, and as long as you're polite and friendly and nice, nothing is ever going to happen to you. I've never been a victim of crime in South Africa, except once we almost got mugged, but never. And it's all how you sort of carry yourself, your body language. That's a very positive thing to say, that nothing's going to happen. But things do happen, but you're also coming across now as extremely positive. I am, and I always say to my wife, if they literally had to come to the house in the middle of the night, Guns to our heads. I'd say, okay, have you got a bucky outside? Yes. Don't hurt us. Give you what you want. Just, I'll help you even carry <laughs> the stuff to the car. Yeah, you know? yeah. But there's another way of doing this, you know. I, I just I think a lot of the time when, and maybe this isn't a uh, politically correct thing to say, but farm murders, I just think they do all the wrong things. You can't come out guns blazing and, and just go and attack. Yes, okay, you're being attacked, but I just think I've I've always been able to handle myself in situations, even antagonistic situations, where you win the person over. And, okay, maybe I'm, I'm not in that situation, but I think there's a lot that goes towards how you can handle yourself in any context. And I think that's where people go wrong. You know, they use certain words, certain frames of reference, and it just makes things worse. And uh, accelerates. Correct. Sense. But, um, Barry, you said politically correct there. Just now you were saying you can go about saying anything, but as you spoke about America, things are very sanitized. You've got to be careful what you say these days. Look how many people are getting into terrible trouble for what they say on Twitter. Um, and you spoke about people trolling the web and saying terrible things. We. Look, we have to be careful to some extent about what we say. Of course. No, I'm not saying you've got free reign and you can say whatever you want. 
You know, but some people can say things in a certain way and get away with it, mm. whereas other people could say the same thing and not. And it's all in your delivery, and right. I suppose who you are. And how much now stand-up comedy do you do? Uh, only in courts. I haven't done, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done gigs for a while. Why not? Why? Uh, it's been too busy, I suppose. The guy whom I based uh, the character on in the, uh, the non-fiction part of Gueve, he said we should get a little theater together and put a show on. So that's something I'll be planning, you know, in the next year or two. Mm-hmm. So. Now, your other book, Nigiri Law, a divorce order on the cover there. What, what is, because this is quite different now from Hove, isn't it? Totally. Um, that's an off-the-wall, insane black comedy about a Japanese guy who was a real client of mine who couldn't speak a word of English. And he's oh, so it's based on an element of fact. There, there's a foundation that's real there, but yeah. obviously the rest is just a crazy exaggeration. And he, ba- his wife was – the last thing he'd done was he'd spoken to her like four years before, and she was in Scotland, and he said, you know, I want to get divorced. I'm like, where do we find this woman? How do we do it? You can't speak a word of English. So it's the whole send-up of, of him and our miscommunication and the insanity of the, the legal system. There's some really funny court scenes there with – the judge and you know other lawyers in the court and it's sort of a send up of that uh, which uh, a lot it, of people have said they really enjoyed that part it might make a nice little play it would actually stage yeah. play what does nigiri mean on uh, nigiri is uh, a sushi dish it's basically uh, rice on the bottom and the fish on the top so salmon nigiri would be just sort of rice there on the bottom and a piece of sort of sliced salmon on top so that piece is called nigiri so why nigiri law um because yeah the, the japanese uh, client he had a sushi restaurant so i used to go oh, to his yes. restaurant all the time oh, yes. and consult with him so this is in fact a more serious book although as you say no no it's not no, it's, it's goive which is more serious correct. this is the nigiri law is the, the laugh a minute one crazy sort of. ride from beginning to end <laughs> so it's very short yeah, with a go. it's only what uh, 60 70 pages 70 pages you can literally read it in an hour and a half flat yeah and yeah. it's got a good pace as well let's just have another piece of music approach the end of the program barry what next the song called some some summertime sadness by a lady called uh, Lana Del Rey. Uh, the reason I chose it is I'm busy working on a new manuscript called Big John Harry's Revenge, and uh, that was sort of inspiration for a scene in the manuscript. Kiss me hard before you go Summertime sadness I just wanted you to know The baby the best I got my red dress on tonight Dancing in the dark in the pale moonlight Throw my hair up real big beauty queen style Heels off, I'm feeling alive. Oh my god, I feel it in the air. Telephone wires above, I'm sizzling like a snare. Honey, I'm on fire, I feel it everywhere. Nothing scares me anymore. Kiss me hard before you go. Summertime 
night Cruising down the coast Going about 99 Got my bad baby By my heavenly side I know if I go I'll die happy tonight Oh my god Lana Del Rey there, Summertime Sadness. Well, here we are on People of Note. And interesting, my guest is Barry Farkle, a lawyer but also a comedian and a writer of comedy books, as we've discovered. But as you said, Barry, um, we've had both a serious side to this interview and a lighter side. Your job as a lawyer is mostly serious, even though you make jokes about saying your next stand-up comedy is your next court appearance. I must come and watch you in court, actually, one day. It's on. But um, now what, after these two books, you hinted at something there, a manuscript you're working on. You, uh, have, you haven't <clears throat> lost, you want to keep going on this line. Yeah, I'm actually quite far, probably about 80% through this manuscript. Um, it's, it's basically the same, you must think I'm insane about this bloke, the same character in Goyve, the non-fiction guy who gave me the idea for uh you know the the jewish yiddish english dictionary that's right that's uh, right. he sort of is this bloke that's in the book who drives around in his big car you know going to a strip club called the maverick i can't say it's that one and he sort of has a sort of bumbling existence where with you know he's got his little girly magazine strewn all over the back of the car 
So the story is basically the prequel to that because he's had a nervous breakdown and now he's like a man child. <laughs> so it's him before who was this sort of Lothario, sex crazy, womanizer, you know, man of note. And that's the story of Big John Harry's Revenge. So that's going to be released as a book, as yeah. another one of your novels. Correct. But in the meantime, so apart from that, you said that you'd like to get back into stand-up comedy because it must have been, I get the impression it was therapeutic for you and for the people for whom you were performing. In a way, yeah. I got to say what I wanted to say and there was sort of like no limits. And sometimes my wife would say like, oh my God, Barry, you know, <laughs> sure. how could you say that? I said, well, I didn't get stoned or bottles thrown at me. I tell you, there was a gig I did in Johannesburg um, and I, actually the shows that I did in Joburg, the audience was sort of more amenable to me. And it was it was a place called Glen Eagles. And the show went down pretty well. There were some good laughs coming. And this guy came up to me after the show and he kind of made my night or month or year. He said to me, you know what? I've heard a lot of comedians, okay? I've heard a lot of nonsense. But what you said was something completely different. And I want to thank you for sharing that with us. So that really made me feel good. That is a nice thing because mm. I, I don't know how you people do it. A stand-up comedian um, – I mean, people are sitting there, and they desperately want you to make them laugh. And if you don't make them laugh, you've had it. It's a difficult one because you know it depends on the audience. Mm. Uh, you know, you find also with the more the professional acts, they have a certain audience that comes to see them. You know, yes. Frankie Ball from Scotland. People know he's going to be outrageous. That's the crowd he gets. Right. And then, do you just want to get off the stage immediately? What, after the gig? No, during the gig. <laughs> well, yeah, when it goes south, it's it's difficult to kind of get keep your rhythm up. You know? mm -hmm. Are there local comedians that you have modelled yourself on, or you're completely original? Would you say uh, none of the local guys? Well, yeah. Mr. Original. Well, yeah, Mr. Vocal. I don't know. Whatever he <laughs> is, uh, whoever they say he is, yeah, just me. Try and be myself, for better or worse. But Barry, it's been interesting talking to you because uh, it's an unusual. Angle talking to a lawyer. We've had lawyers before and judges, may I say, mm. on people of note. And the conversation has been suitably serious and, um, you know, thought provoking and all that. Yours has been thought provoking, getting us to, as you say, get on with each other, not to live in isolation and to laugh at each other. Absolutely. Just uh, have a good time. You know, life's short. Why, why put all these boundaries between us? Why create all these problems? Just do what you've got to do. Enjoy yourself. You know, enjoy other people. Explore. Experiment. There's words of wisdom from my guest on People of Note this week, Barry Varkel. What's your last piece of music, Barry, that you're going to share um, with us? We're going to go from uh, it's a piece by Vangelis uh, from a movie, one of my favorite movies, called Bitter Moon. And it's uh, sort of a love story that kind of went wrong between uh, an American uh, writer who thought he was Hemingway, who lived in Paris, and his lady that he fell in love with. And things kind of took a dark edge. And it's sort of about the dark side of love. Mm -hmm. I found it fascinating. Mm -hmm. uh, Hugh Grant acted in it as well. Oh, yes. Okay. So that will be our final piece. Barry, thanks for coming in. Thank you very much. And your me. books are called Nigiri Law and Hoi Vey. Are they available in bookshops locally? Uh, yes, the one in... Uh, Roland Street, I forget the name now. Is Corner. it Wordsworth? Oh, Wordsworth in Seapoint, correct. Oh, yes, and right. then 
the bookshop corner Roland and Basin oh the book Council. lounge book lounge the book yeah. lounge yeah. yeah okay and they are published privately so look out yeah. for them and Goive Hoive a Gentile's Guide to Judaism and Nigiri Law Barry Farkel thank you very much thank you for having me Rodney it's been a pleasure.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. FM.